recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, November 27th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. A white, apparently white, probably white, a white Indianapolis pastor, so-called pastor, Judeo-Christian pastor, had his house burglarized on Monday, and his 28-year-old pregnant white wife was shot in the head. Two Negroes had been arrested for the crime, or maybe I should call them niggers. I wonder how many Negroes this so-called pastor has baptized or has tried to save, and if he will continue the charade hereafter. Negroes are not candidates for Christianity. In fact, all of the Negro savages who destroyed the cities of the North, Detroit, Philadelphia, Newark, Fort Wayne, Camden, Baltimore, and many others in the 1960s and 70s, had actually moved north from the South in the 1950s and 60s. And when they did, they almost always identified themselves as Baptists or Methodists or Pentecostals or something similar. They were already supposedly Christians. They got welfare checks. They got EBT cards, employment preferences, contract preferences, all sorts of other enticements, and they still cannot act like Christians. They can't even act like people. They have freeloaded for three or four generations now, and their destruction of white society accelerates at a pace that cannot continue much longer as their demands for preferences and handouts increase daily. When will whites learn that Negroes cannot be Christians, and they cannot endure in a civil society because they are beasts. They are nothing but beasts. And in reality, they are only here as a punishment from God for the sins committed by true Christians. That is right. Negroes are a punishment for sin. A plague no different than the ancient plagues of Egypt in the Old Testament. And until whites repent, the Negroes are going to remain a plague. This that we've seen the last couple of years is only just the beginning. I initially thought that we would complete a presentation of Ephesians chapter 5 this evening, but we won't even get halfway through. That is because I wanted to make a point. Making that point, I will use certain Judeo-Christian terms a little more frequently than I usually would, so please forgive me. I will also quote the King James Version a little more frequent than usual. The point I want to make is also the subtitle of tonight's program, Jesus Hates. Of course, Jesus loves, but Jesus certainly also hates. How the sinners and the enemies of God hate to hear that. But Christians are obligated to preach the truth with love. And preaching the truth with love, Christians should not shrink from explaining exactly what it is that Jesus hates. In the Gospel of Luke, Joshua Christ is caught up in a dispute with the Pharisees, which is described in Luke chapter 11. And then it says at the beginning of Luke chapter 12, in the meantime, 
when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one another. He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. With this, Christ gives a long discourse, which includes a discussion concerning the fear of this world and those who would kill the body, as opposed to the fear of God, who judges man after the body is destroyed. In this discussion, Christ then states that whosoever shall confess me before man, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that de denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. This conversation ultimately leads into a question posed to Christ by some of his disciples, where in Luke chapter 13 we read, they were present at that season. Some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is something which is only necessary when one has sinned and sin is a transgression of the law of God. Repentance is a necessary prerequisite for forgiveness. As we read in Luke chapter 17 in verse 3, where Christ had said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. And if he repents, and if he repents, forgive him. Once again, that same Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And his commandments are those which summarize the laws of God. The same Jesus had also said, as it is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, breaks one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And by one of these commandments, he meant the commandments found in the law. Yahshua Christ had fulfilled the ceremonial requirements of the law so that Yahweh God could be reconciled to Israel. But he did not put an end to the commandments, as the words of Paul and the other apostles prove in the book of Acts and throughout their epistles. In Acts chapter 22, Paul had referred to one 
Ananias, a devout man, according to the law. This is 30 years after the cross. This Ananias was a Christian, and Paul measures his piety according to the law. In Acts chapter 24, speaking of himself, Paul said, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So Paul's own words inform us that piety is measured in a man's willingness to obey God's laws, by which the just and the unjust are measured. This he says in another way in Romans chapter 2, from verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not law, since they were not regular hearers of the law in the synagogues, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. In that chapter of Romans, which many Christians actually don't understand, Paul contrasted the pretense of keeping the law in circumcision by the ritual ordinances as compared to the reality of keeping the commandments of the law because it is in one's heart to keep the law. So in the discourse provided in Luke chapter 13, Jesus Christ exhibited little compassion for those Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, or for those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, warning his own followers to repent or they would suffer a similar judgment. Simply believing in Jesus or accepting him as their personal Lord and Savior was not enough, as they were also warned, that except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. They were commanded to repent from sin, and sin is defined in the law. Often, when men suffer calamity, it is perceived to be a judgment or a trial from God. It certainly is. Our medieval ancestors understood that. That is why the English word crisis came into our language from the Greek word crisis, which means judgment. For this reason, Paul understood that men are often dissatisfied with the judgments of God. However, David had understood that same thing long before Paul was even born. So Paul quotes David in order to display his own understanding. And in Ephesians chapter 4, 
while explaining that Christians should engage in speaking the truth with love. Paul quoted the fourth psalm, where it says, Be angry, and do not commit wrongdoing or sin. And then he said, The sun must not set upon your provocation. Here Paul was both citing and paraphrasing Psalm 4.4, where it says in the Septuagint, be angry, be angry, and sin not. Feel compunction upon your beds for what you say in your hearts. But in the King James Version it reads, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Men may be angry that God has passed judgment, or, as the King James Version has it in the, in the Psalms, men may stand in awe and should stand in awe that God has passed judgment. But either way it is read, they are warned that they should not sin in their anger, and they are therefore exhorted to meditate upon their beds at night and in their prayers they should repent. So men must accept the judgment of Yahweh and cease from their sins. When men do not repent, they open themselves up to further sin, and therefore Paul exhorts them not to give occasion or opportunity to the devil. In the fourth psalm, before making that statement which Paul had cited in Ephesians chapter 4, David is seen to have been addressing men who love falsehood, where it reads in the King James Version, in verse 2, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Medieval word, which means falsehood. Then in verse 3, David wrote, But know that Yahweh has set apart him that is godly for himself. Yahweh will hear when I call unto him. So David believed that his own prayers would be answered on account of his piety, which we may learn elsewhere is reflected by his love of and his willingness to abide in the word of Yahweh his God. Likewise here, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is using David's words in that same context where he is addressing those who walk in the vanity of their minds, being darkened in understanding, being alienated from the life of Yahweh because of the ignorance that is within them, because of the hardness of their hearts, those who feel no sorrow, surrendering themselves to licentiousness, to the practice of all uncleanness with arrogance. And Paul informs them that this is not what they learn as Christians. Then, because of what they learn as Christians, he exhorts them to put away that which concerns the former mode of life and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man, which in accordance with Yahweh has been established in justice and piety of truth, on which account putting away falsehood, each must speak truth with he who is near to him, because we are members of one another. So speaking the truth with love is to put away falsehood, 
and to speak the truth to one's neighbor by exhorting them to depart from licentiousness and the practice of all uncleanness, among those other things which Paul had mentioned. Only the laws found in the Old Testament the commandments of God to which Christ himself had referred define for Christians what is clean and what is unclean. Mark the boundaries of licentiousness. And Paul attests here that the new man was established in accordance with Yahweh God in justice and piety of truth. This establishment is prophecy in Ezekiel. Chapter 11, where the word of Yahweh speaks in reference to the scattered children of Israel. And they shall come hither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then in that same place concerning those who do not repent, we read, but as for them whose heart walks after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own head, saith Yahweh God. So we see the words of Christ. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The attitude of Jesus Christ towards sinners was no different than the attitude of that Old Testament God. However, Christ does not have pleasure when men are judged in this manner. Therefore, in Ezekiel chapter 18, we read, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Say it, Yahweh God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith Yahweh God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Once again we read, in Ezekiel chapter 36, where the prophet speaks concerning scattered Israel. From verse 22, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith Yahweh God, For I do not do this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen whither you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know, or the nation shall know, that I am Yahweh, saith Yahweh God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. 
from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. The accomplishment of this prophecy begins in Christ, the purpose of the spirit of life in Christ, the purpose of the renewed man, the purpose of the laws written in our hearts, the purpose of this new spirit that the apostles talk about is that the Adamic man keeps the laws of Yahweh, his God. Wherein Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of the old, alienated man who sinned with arrogance in the hardness of their hearts. He is speaking of those Old Testament Israelites who were alienated from Yahweh their God on account of their sins. Then where Paul speaks of the new man and the renewal of the spirit and the mind, he is speaking of the fulfillment of these very words of the prophecies of Ezekiel, demonstrating that Christians should keep the commandments of Yahweh their God and walk in his judgments according to his law. And accordingly, Paul says in the opening verse of Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, you must be imitators of Yahweh as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ has also loved us, some manuscripts have you, and surrendered himself on our behalf an application and sacrifice to Yahweh for an essence of sweet aroma. Referring to the essences of the sacrifices made on the Old Testament altars. Yahshua Christ, as it prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, and in Isaiah chapter 53 and elsewhere, had surrendered himself as a final sacrifice for the sins of the children of Israel so that reconciliation could be made for their transgressions. Paul had already taught this covenant theology throughout the first half of this epistle, and this passage must be understood in that same context. The love of which Paul speaks is love for God, and it is defined in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in a passage from which Christ himself had quoted. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which Yahweh your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess, that thou mightest fear Yahweh thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, 
and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as Yahweh, God of thy fathers, had promised thee, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God is one Yahweh. And thou shalt love Yahweh thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. One cannot love God and be disobedient to his commandments in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 we read, Therefore thou shalt love Yahweh thy God, and keep his charge, and his statutes, and his judgments, and his commandments always. In Matthew chapter 22 we read an exchange between a young man and Yahshua Christ, where he asks, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And then we read, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets are not replaced by these two commandments. All the law... And the prophets are hinged on these first two commandments. So there are other laws Christians must keep following these two laws. The Apostle John defined the same love of which Paul speaks, the same love spoken of in Deuteronomy, in his second epistle, where he wrote, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, that's back in Deuteronomy, right? You should walk in it. Being imitators of God, as Paul beckons these Ephesians to walk in love, Christians must endeavor to keep the commandments in the law of God as John defines that love. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul had already exhorted them against stealing. Corrupt speech blasphemy and malice. Here that topic has not changed, and he continues with that same theme, moving on to other things from which Christians must abstain. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or greediness you must not even specify among you, just as is suitable with saints. And abusiveness and foolish speaking or ribaldry, 
which things are not fitting, but thanksgiving instead. This is known by you, that any fornicator or unclean or greedy person who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of the anointed and of Yahweh. This is speaking the truth with love. If walking in love is keeping the commandments of God, then by speaking the truth with love, Christians admonish their brethren to walk in that same love and to keep God's commandments. It must be said that a fornicator is a race mixer, for which Paul himself gives two clear examples in his other epistles. The first example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul likens the events described in Numbers chapter 25 to fornication. There it is written that the men of Israel joined themselves to the daughters of Moab. And in one day, 23,000 Israelites were slain in the judgment of God. The second is where Paul compares Esau to a fornicator or profane person in Hebrews chapter 12. Esau had married women of the Hittites, a Canaanite race, which is evident in Genesis chapters 26 through 28. And this is how Esau despised his birthright. The Apostle Jude likewise describes fornication as the act of going after strange flesh, or different flesh, which also describes race mixing. The Greek term for fornication has other uses, such as to refer to prostitution or other acts of illicit sexual relations, as it is used by Paul of the fornicator described in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, who was a man that had taken his father's wife. Yet any of these uses of the term describe things which are detested by God. In Revelation chapter 2, in his message to the church at Pergamos, Joshua Christ had said in part, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak how to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So we see something which the account in the book of Numbers did not reveal, that it was Balaam, the prophet, who had instructed Balak, the king of Moab, to entice the men of Israel to join in fornication with the daughters of Moab. The term fornication can describe nothing but the act of race mixing where in that very incident, Phineas was granted the reward of an eternal priesthood for putting a particular Israelite race mixer and his Moabite consort to death as they lay together in a tent. The Apostle Jude also referred to this, where he mentioned the error of Balaam. Peter also described those who are gone astray following the way of Balaam. And Yahweh had uttered through the prophet Micah, O oh my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, 
answered him. Ostensibly, Paul described Esau as a fornicator in Hebrews 12:16 because he was a race mixer. This is the only thing which can be found in the Genesis account concerning Esau, which is directly contrary to the laws of God, later given to Israel, and which may be called fornication. In Genesis chapter 27, we read, And Esau was 40 years old when he took the wife, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite. And Bashamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Then, after Rebekah grieved over Esau's wives and had conspired to, to gain the blessings for Jacob, we read in Genesis chapter 27, And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So in the opening of Genesis chapter 28, we see Isaac's remedy for Rebekah's weariness. And it says, And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Here we are left without doubt that Jacob received the promises to Abraham rather than Esau because Jacob obeyed his parents and did not follow after Esau in his fornication because Jacob did not take a wife of the daughters of the land. Later in that same chapter of the Revelation, Chapter 2, Yahshua Christ once again addresses fornication using Jezebel, the ancient queen and notable whore, as an example. Doing this, he addresses the church at Theatira, and he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her 
into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Well, what were the bad works of the children? I will kill her children with death. Yahweh hated Esau as he professed throughout the prophet Malachi, through the prophet Malachi, addressing the children of Israel. Malachi chapter 1. I love you, saith Yahweh. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? And there's more to say about that, but we won't say it tonight. Thus saith Yahweh, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Paul professes that Yahweh God continues to hate Esau, where we read in Romans chapter 9 that they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And he goes on to compare Jacob and Esau. It is clear in history that at this time, at the time of Christ, many of the Judeans were actually Edomites. And Paul cites Malachi, where he says, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, Romans 9.13. Paul goes on to describe the one as vessels of mercy, and the other as vessels of destruction. This destruction is still to be fulfilled, and it is also prophesied in Obadiah, where it says, And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken it. From the Psalms of Asaph, Psalm 137. Remember, O Yahweh, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, hasn't happened yet. Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth. Thy little ones against the stones. Jesus hates. And some of the things which we can be certain that Jesus hates are the fornicators and the products of their fornication, the little ones of Esau, the children of Jezebel. For which reason, all the seed of Esau shall ultimately be destroyed. For the same reason, he said of Jezebel, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death. The children have no room to repent. So for the fornicator, 
Jesus shall kill her children with death. Jesus did not advocate preaching love. Jesus does not love everybody. Rather, Jesus advocated preaching the truth with love, which is also what Paul is advocating here. As Jesus said to the church of the Laodiceans, recorded in Revelation chapter 3, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would, an old archaic way of saying, I wish, I would thou were hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And a few passages later he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Turn from sin. Repentance is the conscious regret for not keeping the law and an acknowledgement that the law is good, as Paul had explained in Romans chapter 7. We shall repeat verses 3 through 5 of Ephesians chapter 5 so that we may discuss other aspects of Paul's words. But fornication and all uncleanness or greediness you must not even specify among you just as is suitable with saints. And abusiveness and foolish speaking or ribaldry, which things are not fitting, but thanksgiving instead. This is known by you, that any fornicator or unclean or greedy person who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of the anointed and of Yahweh. All Israel will be saved. They won't be fornicators and idolaters. The King James and other versions have name instead of specify. Perhaps we may have better rendered it identify. Paul is telling the Ephesians that none of these acts should be specified or identified among them. Of course, to speak the truth with love, the names of the acts themselves must be mentioned as things which are forbidden by the law. This is speaking the truth with love. If walking in love is keeping the commandments of God, then by speaking the truth with love, Christians admonish their brethren to keep God's commandments as well. Esau was a fornicator and lost his birthright. In an allegory, Jezebel taught the servants of Yahweh to commit fornication, and all of their children resulting from that fornication, are to be put to death. The Apostle Jude said in verse 7 of his short epistle that even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange or different, is the meaning of the Greek word, different flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's how Jesus loves. So Jude tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah 
are to serve as examples for Christians. But sodomy was not destroyed by God. Rather, the sodomites themselves were destroyed by God. That same God which Jesus identified as his God. And Christians should know that Jesus is also one and the same with that God. Therefore, Jesus hates. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus has promised to kill the children produced in fornication. Jesus hates fornicators and punishes them, and he destroys the results of that fornication. Greediness or covetous, covetousness is idolatry, as Paul defines it here. Going back to Revelation chapter 3, Joshua Christ told the assembly of the Laodiceans that they were lukewarm and that they would therefore be chastened or punished. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They had earthly riches, but they had no treasure in heaven, ostensibly because they were not acting on their faith, but they were rather comfortable in their riches. Examining Deuteronomy chapter 8, the children of Israel were instructed of the purpose of their wealth, if indeed they acquired wealth. And it says in verse 17, And now say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember, Yahweh thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. So when we acquire material wealth, we do not amass it for our own comfort, thinking that our wealth can save us, thinking that our wealth can save us. That is idolatry. If we do that, then riches become our God, and ultimately they will be of no profit to us. So rather, we seek increase in order to employ it for the edification of the body of Christ. Of course, abusiveness and foolish speaking or ribaldry are references to worldly arguing, gesturing and joking and things like that. Christians should not say things that they do not actually mean. That's a hard thing to do. I understand more than anyone. And they should hope that everything which they actually do say comes to pass. Thought and prayer. Thought and prayer are not two distinct processes. They're the same process. A Christian's prayer, a Christian's prayer should be his thought, and Christian thought should be one's prayer. In one Samuel chapter three, it was said of the prophet as a young man, and Samuel grew. And Yahweh was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, every word that Samuel said came true. Samuel probably didn't speak a whole lot. He probably wasn't very verbose. 
as a digression, because the subject of cussing came up after last week's program. It came up a few times, actually. I was in Alabama once, and I was talking to a woman who knew me for some time, and she had two young boys with her. And after a short talk, one of the boys had expressed dismay, saying that I had cussed three times. Ten-minute talk. I did pretty good, eh? Being raised in New Jersey, I was surprised at that time to find that the boys raised in the South were taught that hell and damned were so-called curse words. When I, being from, when I, being from New Jersey, had no thought that any of my conversation was improper. That is the diverse perspectives of two different cultures. But words like hell and damned are actually in the Bible. So how can they possibly be bad words? The King James Version puts the word damned into the mouth of Christ himself in Mark chapter 16. Wow, Jesus said a bad word. The truth is that words can only be curses when they are abused or when one abuses his brethren with them. If I say, that damned idiot, he should go to hell, talking about one of my own Christian brethren, I am blaspheming. I'm blaspheming. I'm using abusive language by considering a man to be damned when he is actually loved by God. That is indeed a sin. But if I say that damn Jew or that damn nigger, I wish he'd go to hell, how am I blaspheming when my language only mirrors the truth of the scripture? When it comes to discerning what is or is not a curse, context is very important because words are tools. There are no bad words by themselves, even if some of them are unseemly or if you don't want those thoughts in the minds of your children. Of course you shouldn't say certain words in front of children. You should try to refrain from them because you don't want those pictures in the minds of your children. That's like pornography, right? But there are no bad words by themselves. Verse 6 of Ephesians. No, of Ephesians chapter 5. No one must deceive you with empty words, for on account of these things the wrath of Yahweh comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, you must not be partakers with them. Paul speaking about the sons of disobedience. Paul speaking about Israelites caught up in fornication, uncleanness, greediness, and things like that. Christians must separate themselves from sinners, as we are told by the Apostle James. The result of sin is death, from James chapter 1. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished or when it is accomplished, brings forth death. 
This is basically the same message we had seen in Ezekiel chapter 18. Yahweh encourages the children of Israel to repent of their sins, where it says, repent and turn yourselves from all of your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith Yahweh God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Today's denominational churches like to say, hate the sin, love the sinner. And by saying that, they compel men to accept every sort of miscreant. But Paul himself warned Christians to put such wicked men out of their communities, as he cited Deuteronomy chapter 17 in his first epistle to the Corinthians, concerning the fornicator in chapter 5, and he said, Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. In Romans chapter 1, Paul described homosexuality, lesbianism, fornicators, and those engaged in a list of other sins, and warned Christians concerning those who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So those who accept the persons of sinners, those who have pleasure in people that do those things, can expect the same punishments which the sinners themselves can expect. Today's denominational churches deceive men with empty words, persuading them that such punishments will not come upon them. Today's denominational churches are the precise equivalents of the false prophets of the Old Testament who made their livings telling the children of Israel good things that they wanted to hear. We see an example in Jeremiah chapter 14, where the prophet is speaking to Yahweh. Then said I, Ah, Yahweh God, behold, the prophets say unto them, You shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then Yahweh said unto me, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spoke unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. Think about this Christian so-called pastor in Indiana. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. As the words of Christ had said, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise.
perish. In Revelation chapter 9, we see in a vision of the second woe that the sixth angel sounds its trumpet, and as a result, a great army was permitted to cross the Euphrates. There we read, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them. By these three was the third part of them killed, by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. But evidently, even with this punishment, men do not repent of their sin, and the prophecy continues. And the rest of the men, which were not killed by these plagues, the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So we see that once again, Jesus hates and he punishes those who partake in the things which he hates. Verse 8, Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once in darkness, but are now light in the prince. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is in all goodness and justness and truth, scrutinizing what is acceptable to the prince. Some manuscripts have fruit of the spirit in verse 9. Here Paul informs these Christians that they must gauge all of their actions and behavior by asking whether or not those actions would be acceptable to Yahshua Christ. Today, the denominational churchgoers like to ask the question, what would Jesus do? But since they discard the law of Yahweh God, and they discard most of the Old Testament, except for perhaps a handful of messianic prophecies, and they discard those things against the instructions of the apostles themselves, of the apostles themselves, they will never really know the answer to the question, what would Jesus do? It must be noted here that in verse 1, Paul admonished the Ephesians to be therefore followers of God, that Old Testament God, not merely followers of Jesus. The Apostle Peter had admonished Christians in the same manner in the opening chapter of his first epistle. And he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as which he has called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter speaking to dispersed Israelites. He who calls you is not Jesus. He who calls you is that Old Testament God. But as he which has called you, 
is holy. So you be holy in all manner of conversation. And we know that he's talking about that Old Testament God because only that Old Testament God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy, as Peter said, because it is written. The denominational churches love to say, hate the sin, love the sinner, whereupon an examination of the commandments of Jesus Christ would remove the sin by eradicating the sinners, for which Jude used the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is what Jesus would do because Jesus hates. And therefore, Paul says in verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even reprove them. Christians have an obligation to consistently rebuke both sin and sinners. And this is precisely why all formerly Christian nations, we can't call them, we can't call these white European nations Christian nations anymore, not even America. It's hardly Christian. This is precisely why all formerly Christian nations are fully worthy of the chastisement which is currently beginning to threaten the very existence of those nations. While most Christians, or even most white people in those nations, do not themselves directly partake in deviancy, they have failed to rebuke it when their political leaders and their so-called religious leaders embrace and even promote it. There is no peace in the gospel of God without obedience to his law. As it says in Isaiah chapter 48, there is no peace, saith Yahweh, unto the wicked. The same phrase is repeated in Isaiah chapter 57. Speaking of the children of Israel, I create the fruit of the lips, peace, Peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith Yahweh, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The Apostle John, in the fourth chapter of his first epistle, had warned his readers to try or to test, to try every spirit, to see whether it was from God, because not all spirits are from God. He wrote, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. They are already gone out into the world at his time. He had already written in a verse, which preceded in chapter 3, and he that keeps his commandments dwells in him and he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us, that same Ezekiel spirit, so that we walk in his statutes. So according to the apostle, 
If one keeps the commandments of God, by that does he know that God is with him. Then in John's second epistle, after informing his readers that love was the keeping of the commandments of God, in verse 7, he says in verse 9, Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That's a medieval way of say, saying, neither greet him. Don't even greet him. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. John had already explained that Christian love was in the keeping of the commandments of God. That is the doctrine of Christ, that if we love him, we keep his commandments. Accepting those who do not keep his doctrine, we become partakers of their evil deeds. You may not be a sodomite, but if you're accepting a sodomite, you're as guilty as the sodomite. It is better, as Paul says here, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even reprove them. If you're accepting a fornicator, you may as well be a race mixer yourself. Jesus hates, he hates sodomites and fornicators. That's not the Old Testament, that's the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 2, revisiting the message to the church at Theatira, we do not see any rebuke against the Christians of that church because they themselves were fornicators. But Jesus Christ was nevertheless displeased with them. He was displeased with them because they allowed fornicators to preach among them. And that was enough for them to suffer his wrath. Here he tells them, in verse 20 of chapter 2, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest. That means, because you allow. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, you put up with Jezebel, you let her do these things, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Here Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even reprove them. It is evident that the church as to Tyra, was rebuked and chastised because they had fellowship with fornicators and failed to reprove them. Paul then continues, For the things being done by them secretly, it is disgraceful even to think of, or to speak of, I'm sorry. Even in a world where sodomite unions are sanctioned by government decrees, as we have today. Many Christians still are not able to imagine the disgusting acts which godless men can partake in and then 
attempt to justify. Pedophilia, it's coming. Bestiality, it's coming. Pretty soon, fags and horses are going to be walking down the aisle. In addition, all of the formerly Christian nations are now heavily populated with non-white beasts, as well as Jewish antichrists, who are themselves the devil. Even the most pious acting of these beasts and devils are nothing but disgusting animals who seek to only who only seek to gratify their own lusts and to justify their own ways rather than adhere to any semblance of morality. They practice all sorts of uncleanness in the course of their daily lives. They have corrupted a formerly moral society to accept their gross perversions in the name of freedom and liberty. The Apostle Peter warned about that when he said, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. In that manner, throughout our Christian nations, they have corrupted our Adamic race. They should never have been admitted but they were allowed into fellowship within the Christian nations because with the rise of humanism, Christians were persuaded that they could coexist with demons. Now the once Christian society has sunk to the level of Sodom and Gomorrah. The children of Israel were warned against this. For example... We read in Exodus chapter 23 of the Canaanites, today's Jews, Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods, today's Jews and many of today's Arabs. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. When aliens are permitted to dwell among Christians, it is tantamount to those Christians respecting the gods of the aliens, which is idolatry. And the aliens will inject their ungodly values into the Christian society. When the Christian nations emancipated the Jews 200 years ago, it was immediately inevitable that Jewry would prevail against Christian values. There is no way that the beasts and the devils could ever be followers of God, because the beasts and the devils do not have that same spirit of God which is within the Adamic man, as Paul had explained in Romans chapter 7, that only the spiritual man could obey the laws of God. Yahweh had promised, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and elsewhere, that he would put his laws upon the hearts of the children of Israel. The law was only given to the children of Israel in the first place, and therefore only the children of Israel had the ability to follow the law. Therefore, Paul declared in Romans chapter 8, for the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. 
Denominational churches teach that the law is put away, and they allow Christians to embrace those who engage in the lusts of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul of Paul had explained that Christians were free from the law if, by walking in the Spirit, they would put away the lusts of the flesh. In verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would or that you wish. But if ye be led of the spirit, you are not under the law because you have put away the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, or sorcery, or pharmakia, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strikes, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we see the words of Christ, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus hates. Therefore, Christians must speak the truth with love and hope that their brethren repent so that they don't become targets of chastisement. As the camp of the saints is being encompassed by the enemies of our God and all those who would kill us, this is becoming urgently important to understand. There's no other way out. Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There's no alternative. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, and good night. Tomorrow night, Martin Luther.